0: Holy God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let us behold your beauty this morning, and as we contemplate the vision of your fiery holiness in the burning bush, let us hear your call to walk in deeper relationship with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, welcome to Church of the Incarnation. We are our second week in a series on Exodus, as you heard from our theme music. At the very core of the Christian faith is this profound revelation that God wants to be in relationship with us. It's very simple, right? And yet incredibly profound, I can remember growing up in an evangelical Pentecostal church where we were often told that God wants to be our friend and Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. And of course, I've gone on to seminary and done much theological study and biblical studies and kind of dived into the more objective side of the faith, you know, the kind of less personal side of it all. And recently, I've been reading some books on prayer by a Greek Orthodox monk, and I've been going to spiritual direction with a Jesuit priest. And you know what those guys are all saying? Jesus wants to be your friend, (laughs) God wants a relationship with you. It turns out, no matter what corner of the faith you turn to, we are all staring at the same profound mystery. I know sometimes it can sound cheap or overly individualistic, but nonetheless, it's the profound truth of the Bible. It's why Jesus came. God wants to be in a relationship with you. This morning in Exodus, our reading began in chapter 3. But if we start there, we'll skip over a lot of profound teaching on the formation of Moses. So three is the call of Moses, right? And last week, you might remember, we read about the birth of Moses. And I don't wanna skip over all that formation that happened in between. So this morning, I wanna look at five invitations into a deeper relationship with God through the life of Moses. The great thing about these invitations is that they're for you no matter where you are. I know some of us here today are maybe considering coming back to church, considering coming back to the faith, maybe after a long time. Maybe you're in a spot where you never truly had committed faith to Jesus, and you're here and you're exploring it. And I just want to say, if that's you and you're here, we're so glad you're here. And this is a safe community to explore that faith. And we want to encourage you in that curiosity. In fact, we believe that curiosity and imagination are actually necessary for following Jesus. We're not here just to give you all the answers. We're here to journey with you and to kind of help be a guide, but we're still trying to figure it out ourselves. And then if you're here and you've been a committed Christian for a long time, you've been doing this for longer than I have, great. These five invitations are still invitations for you. They're invitations that never go away. So as the as the curtains closed last week in our story, Moses was born, and then he went to go live in a palace in luxury in Egypt, which was the richest, most powerful nation in the world, right? And then as the curtains open today on our scene, Moses is a shepherd living out in the wilderness. What happened? How did Moses drop out of Emory and start working on a farm in South Georgia? Well, he killed the man. (laughs) That's part of the story for sure. In Exodus 2.11, we see, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his own people. And he looked this way and he looked that way and he saw that no one was looking and he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. Now, something that is very impressive about Moses is that although he was raised in the luxury of the palace with Pharaoh, he also has a very strong sense. Of justice. He's in Enneagram 8 for any of you guys that follow that. Hebrews 11 says this of Moses. This is Hebrews eleven twenty-four. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses chooses poverty and mistreatment over a life of luxury with affluent oppressors. I find it fascinating that in the story, although Moses had grown up as an Egyptian and lived with all the privilege of an Egyptian, He chooses to identify with an oppressed people, his people. The first invitation for us this morning into this deeper relationship is to grow in awareness of the ways that you fail to align with God's good and beautiful ways. At this point in the story, Moses isn't exactly a fully formed Christian, okay? He's not like the best Christian leader you might ever want to follow yet. He's by no means perfect, but he has, in fact, made a huge leap from where he started. He grew up in this life of luxury, but was also a life among those who were oppressing God's people. And he could at least see that, in this sense, his life was not aligned with God's good and beautiful ways. And so we see this growing awareness in Moses. He makes a conscious decision to leave the palace and to be numbered among the people. But this awareness is only still growing, right? (laughs) And there are still many parts in Moses that still need to be aligned with God's good and beautiful ways. And of course, we see that in the actual slaying of the Egyptian. Now, I will note that commentators are not all in agreement on exactly how to read this? Okay, especially the church fathers don't all see this the way I might see this. Some of them are quick to point out that it's the powerful uh, Egyptian that is oppression the Hebrew. And if you look at the verse, can we go back to the slide with the verse? The he is actually striking. Basically, Moses, Moses gives back to the Egyptian what he's giving, right? It says he is beating him. The literal verb there is striking. And basically Moses gives him the same thing. And so some people will see this as Moses is doing something that's actually just to do. Someone is getting beaten and he steps in and beats the person back. But in this case, I tend to agree with St. Augustine in my reading that Moses is actually killing a man without authority to do so. God hasn't commanded Moses to strike him down. He will tell some people to do that later. And Moses has neither authority from the Egyptian state or from the Hebrew people to enact justice and administer punishments. But I like how Augustine sees it. He imagines that Moses' life is like a fertile field. It's destined to bring forth some really good fruit, But right now there's some weeds that are growing up in that same fertile soil. And this is what he says. But in the minds where great virtue is to come, there is often an early crop of vices in which we may still discern a disposition for some particular virtue, which will come when the mind is rightly cultivated. This is good news for those of us who want to follow Jesus. Because what it means is that some of the same things that are causing us to sin today could be the very same things that are going to bring fruit in our lives later for the kingdom. And the point is this. God has given Moses a strong sense of justice. That strong sense of justice is a virtue. It's God's given. It's there for a reason. God's going to do something with that. But it's also the case that sometimes we step out and try to do the right thing, or try to do the good thing, and in doing, in attempting good works, we're actually sinning. At the same time, as we're going to see in the story, there is a sense in which God is like Moses. As the verse uh, shows us, is that Moses sees the oppression, and we're going to see later that God does indeed, indeed see. God will see, and God will strike the Egyptians down. But there's a whole thing that happens in between that because God is also going to show a great deal of patience with Pharaoh and he's going to show a great deal of mercy towards the Egyptians. He's going to give them time to change their ways. He's going to, in a sense, reveal his potential and his power to them before he turns to punish them. Unlike God, Moses strikes down a man without patience or mercy. And in doing so, he's acting more like an Egyptian than he is the God of Israel. So the first invitation for us this morning is to grow in awareness of the ways that we fail to align with God's good and beautiful ways. It's an invitation to realize just how truly messed up we are and how we lack the ability to fix our own situation. The enemy of your soul has two plans for you in the area of injustice. The first thing he would love for you to do is just to look away and do nothing about it and have a hardened heart towards it. And then if he can't get you to do that, the next best thing he can do is to get you to hate, or to despise those who are perpetrating injustice so that you then take on their merciless ways of violence. Either way, he wins, and your soul is hardened. Friends, this is the predicament of our sinful nature. This episode from Moses is pointing this to us, that even our best attempts to make things right in the world are often marred by our own sinful nature so that our good works end up being sinful we end up hurting the very ones we set out to hurt and we make the situation worse and so this is our first invitation recognize not only your sins but your inability to save yourself in your own power you need god By the way, these are the first two steps in the 12-step program for breaking addiction, right? Recognize you're messed up and then recognize you need a higher power, you can't save yourself. That's the first invitation. The second invitation is this, to embrace slow formation in hidden places. The question is, how does Moses become Moses, the greatest leader of God's people? He wasn't just a great political leader. He was a great spiritual leader. In fact, Numbers 12.3 says this, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Wow. Wow. What an amazing thing to have said about you. How did Moses get this way? Well, after killing a man, Moses fled to a forgotten place. He crossed the desert and went to a place called Midian. It's the other side of the civilization, it's the other side of the wilderness from civilization. It's a place that's too unimportant for Egyptians to go looking for him. It turns out that no one in Midian cares where Moses came from. They don't care about his learning. They don't care about the affluence of the Egyptian palace. In Midian, the question isn't where did you attend college, but rather how good are you with sheep? Growing up in an Egyptian palace only to become a shepherd is like growing up in a fluent buckhead only to become a garbage collector. Being a trash man is an honest and much-needed profession, but it also isn't the kind of profession that the affluent among us aspire to become one day. Shepherding is a profession that Egyptians look down on, and it's in this hidden place that God begins to shape Moses into the kind of leader that he wants him to be. We didn't see humility in the Moses who strikes the Egyptians. But I believe it's here in the wilderness that God began to shape Moses' heart. In fact, it's in the wilderness where God shaped so many leaders. Hearts. And we read it in the Bible about people like Elijah or David or John the Baptist or Jesus. And over and over again, they were shaped in the wilderness. And it's in these forgotten places where God wants to form us. It's where he can teach us what we cannot learn in opulence or when we're in the limelight. In Midian, Moses gets married to a shepherdess and he has a son and he names that son Gershom. And Gershom sounds like the Hebrew word ger, which is the word for immigrant or foreigner. And Moses says this, his name is Gershom because I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. The Hebrews were mistreated as foreigners in Egypt, but Moses didn't know what it was like to live as an alien there because Moses was always treated like an Egyptian. And so God had to bring Moses to Midian to teach him what it was like to live in the world as an immigrant and to be treated as a foreigner. Anyone here today feel like you're living? In a wilderness, maybe you feel like you're living in a hard place. Friends, I want to encourage you. The wilderness isn't a misstep. Moses isn't off course. The wilderness is where God shapes your identity. He teaches you humility and helps you to identify with those on the margins. So the second invitation to a deeper relationship with God is to embrace formation in hidden places. And then our third invitation is this, to encounter God in the beauty of his holiness. As our reading opened today in chapter 3, verse 1, Moses is with the sheep, and he has wandered near what what the Bible here calls Mount Horeb which is another name for the mountain we might know better as Mount Sinai. And if you don't know, Mount Sinai is kind of a thin place. It's kind of a place where heaven touches earth. It's a place where God encounters his people. And there Moses sees this bush that is on fire, only it isn't being consumed as it should be. And this is a vision of something very strange and very beautiful. The fire is the place where heaven touches earth. God is present in this beautiful and dangerous fire. And it is from this fire that God calls Moses' name. And Moses responds and says, here am I. And the God says, no, hold up. Wait, don't come any closer, but take your sandals off because you are standing on holy ground. The church fathers understood this invitation to Moses in a sense to leave the earthly cares behind and to contemplate heaven And for them, the sandals are a symbol of something that is dirty and something that is dead. So literally, these sandals are made out of leather. They're made out of dead animal skin. And so the call to Moses is to take off what is dead and unclean on you and to contemplate the beauty and the holiness of God. They also say that Moses was only able to see this bush because he had fled the excesses in Egypt and had come out to Midian and lived a simple life in the wilderness where he contemplated the divine through God's creation. In other words, all these years, Moses' eyes had been trained to see and to recognize God through prayerful meditation in everyday life he could find God in the small things and it trained his eyes to see. And so this is my prayer for you as well, that your eyes will be trained to see, that you can look for God when you come to receive him in the cup and look for God in the eyes of the person at the traffic light asking you for money and train your eyes so that you can notice God when you find him in the bush. And I pray that you will take off your sandals and leave behind the dead and unholy parts of your life so you can encounter God and the beauty of his holiness. The fourth invitation is the invitation to be called and sent. Back in chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, we learn that after suffering for a long time under the Egyptians, the Israelites cried out to God. And in 2, verse 23, it says, their cry for help rose up to God from their slavery. God's biggest act of salvation in the Old Testament is about to happen, and it begins with oppressed people crying out to God and then there's four amazing verbs that come one, God heard their groaning, two God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob three God saw the Israelites and four God knew he's the God that knows but until now No one knows that God knows. It's only Moses is going to be the first person to find out. And so in chapter 3, verse 7, out of the burning bush, God tells Moses, I have seen the misery of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. Friends, if you don't take away anything else from this sermon this morning, I want you to know this that if you are in a spot where you're experiencing injustice, any form of suffering as a result of oppression, you can cry out to God. Our God sees, He hears, He knows. Unlike last week when we talked about Pharaoh who did